Good day, wonderful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing tremendous. It's a privilege and honor to be with you as always, and I'm sending all of my love, good intense prayers, and good vibes your way to you, your family, your friends, and everyone you know. We've got an absolutely exceptional episode of the show for you today. We have Michael Balshin on, and we are talking about how to be more energized, productive, and connected in three minutes a day. Uh, Michael is an amazing individual. Uh, He's created or co-created this amazing app that I've been a part of called Heroic. So in this um, episode, we talk about being anti-fragile, victim versus creator mindset, energy, work, and love, uh, what a hero truly is, the meaning of eudaimonia, eudaimonia, the meaning of life, the four virtues, virtues, the power of will, inexplicable events, the work of Ray Dalio, uh, what confidence truly means, flow, uh, Zen athlete, and so much more. So this is a phenomenal episode. It has so much practical information. Um, his app is incredible as well. If you go to Heroic and you use the code Zen Athlete, you'll get 20% off. But even just the free part of this app is exceptional, and there's a ton of information over there. So go check that out. If you want to support this show, please share episodes far and wide. Uh, join the email list at mattbelair.com. Consider becoming a member where you can get exclusive content um, and discounts, and uh, you can also get it for free or by donations so you can chip in a few bucks like Patreon if you want. There's a few uh, options there, but you can also get it for free if you just email me, matt at zenathlete.com. And if you wanted to work with me one-on-one, just send me an email, matt at zenathlete.com. There's a Soul Compass course, a Zen Athlete, um, Quantum Heart Hypnosis, a Mastermind. There's a lot of ways for us to work together if you're interested in that. And we can work on you know peak performance, uh, living your life purpose, and anything in between. Mastering your mindset. Uh, all of that kind of good stuff. So that's it. Um, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Remember, the best way to support this program is to do three kind actions wherever you are in the world. So let's uh, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, faith, courage, power, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Michael Balshin. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship. So if you want to support this show, please go over to mattbelair.com and become a member. You can also leave a review on iTunes, share episodes, and the best thing you can do to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a Harvard graduate who studied psychology and economics. He spent 10 years in finance before launching a private coaching practice, working with corporate executives, elite athletes, and startup leadership teams. He is president of the personal development platform Optimize Coach, which serves more than 5,500 people from over 95 countries. He regularly teaches personal growth, positive psychology, peak performance, habit creation, wellness, relationships, and leadership. Welcome to the show, Michael Balshin. Thanks so much, Matt. I'm stoked to be here. And I love that three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. What an amazing contribution. Like, can you imagine, like literally, if every single person listening to this just committed to actually doing that, three kind acts in the world. And like- Maybe one of those kind acts gets inspired and then does three more. The ripples that would extend out and, and what a better world we would live in just by doing that. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have fun doing some kind acts later too, but even more inspired after, after hearing that. Anyway, fired up, grateful to be here um, and excited to chat. 
Yeah, man. Well, thanks for mentioning that. You know, I've asked guests before and I say, you know, I give them the idea and I'll just throw it at you after I kind of finish this spiel. Like, what's the one thing you would change in the world to make it a better place? And some people are really adamant about these uh, meditations, right? And they think about the noosphere or this, you know, we're all connected idea. And maybe there's a certain like uh, monkey effect where enough of us do it, and then we go into a peaceful resonance. Um, but I think that if the one thing that I know, if everyone in the world tomorrow just started doing three kind acts for everyone, I think that's the fastest thing that we could do as a as a humanity to change the world because it's it's kindness in action it's spirituality in action it's you know peace in action and it's not just a thought right i think there's one of the quotes from aristotle or somebody you know smart and ancient would say uh you know a thousand good and or one good deed is better than a thousand good intentions and so that's why uh you know i really enjoy that so i appreciate you mentioning it um do I get to answer that question later? You, yeah. Were we going to hold that one or can no, I speak you, to yeah, it you could do Well, you could do it right now. And and I usually get people to, you know, start with telling them a little bit about themselves, but why don't you start with a little bit about yourself? Cause I'm excited to do this show. Um, you've done a lot, you know, you're a person who looks at optimization, peak performance. You've also um, had a career where you made a shift, right? So you stepped out on a limb and you started to create things and have a lot of success and do meaningful work. And uh, I really like when we go into mindset and psychology tools and practices and so you kind of cover all of those bases. So I'm really excited to dive into all the topics. So why don't you start with just a little bit about your background and what you're doing today? And I'd love for you to answer that question. So whatever order you wish. Okay, perfect. Um, then <laughs> let me make a note on, I, there's so much action. Okay. So um, I know Harvard grads in the bio, the, the media team's like, you got to put Harvard grad in the bio. I typically, when I meet someone, they, they, they have no idea. And it doesn't come up in the first, second, third, fifth, 10th conversation. It was not a goal for me. Um, I was going through applying to schools as a, as a kid. And you literally check a box with the common application to like submit your application. I was like, oh, sure, we'll see. Toss one out there, see what happens. Um, ended up getting in, loving it. I had no idea what I want to do with my life. I had been grown up and raised thinking of like college as being the goal. Everything was oriented around getting to a good school. Um, and I, I, you know, when kids ask, what are you going to be when you grow up? I would say, I have no idea, but I know I'm going to be successful. So didn't think past college, I ended up getting into a, a great school and didn't think um, about what I wanted to do afterwards, kind of fell into finance. All the kids were applying to jobs and finance, investment, banking, sales and trading. I love the interviews. It's like riddles, brain teasers. What's 42 times 25? Like how quickly can you do the math? Um, what is that? 1,050, something like that. Um, <laughs> How'd I go to Harvard? <laughs> <laughs> but loved it and loved loved trading. It was like fast pants, uh, fast paced, high energy, great hours. You know, we were in there like seven o'clock every day. We were also off at three every day. So the lifestyle was um, attractive to me. The money was attractive to me. Um and it felt like a great place to start my start my career, but I didn't love it. And I knew going in, I only want to spend X years here, five years. And as that fifth year approached, and I had not made the multi-millions that I wanted to be able to retire as at the ripe young age of 26 or whatever, <laughs> I had this weird psychological, not, not quite depression, but but certainly funk. And it took me a long time to realize, wait a minute, this is when I said I wanted to be out of here and I'm still doing this. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. Um, but backtracking very early on in finance, I saw a lot of the older traders 
um, and the lifestyle that they were living. And this does not mean everybody. There's phenomenal human beings. Some of my best friends are still from finance. But by and large, it's a tough industry. It, um, people, their relationships suffer, their health suffers, mental health, physical health, all those things. And I got really intentional about not wanting that to be my outcome. So I started looking into personal development, right? Um, peak performance, mental toughness, how to optimize my energy, sleep, meditation, journaling, grad, like the, the spectrum of things that everyone was saying, you should do cold showers and breath training, like all the things. And I did something like, I don't know, hundred or 150 different courses on Coursera or edX or Udemy or the one-off purchases at multi-thousand dollar program, et cetera. Um, read a ton of books, had a spreadsheet to track all the books I was reading. The best year was something like 150 books in a single year, taught speed reading. And then I found this guy, Brian Johnson. So somebody sent me what's called a philosopher's note, six page PDF, 20 minute MP3 that broke down the big ideas from a famous book. This one was, uh, I think, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle was actually the first one. Friend sends it, subject like, read this. And I read, I said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I thought it would take me an entire lifetime to study all the things that I wanted to know. And here's this guy who's already read all these books and he's distilled them into six page PDFs and I can get all this wisdom in way less time. So I made it a goal to read through the entire collection of, of philosopher's notes that he put out. Um, fast forward towards the end of my trading career, um, I'd started doing a little bit of coaching on the side. People were you know, coming to me and asking questions, hey, what are you doing? Um, and learned how to create a thriving bespoke coaching practice, executives, et cetera. And then there was a day, and I'd, I'd probably been exploring coaching for about a year or so, um, committed to perform, outperform my contract as a trader. We get this question a lot in our coach program, like, how do I, I'm not really aligned with this thing that I'm doing, but it's my job and it's providing income. And I want to do this other thing on the side. And um, for some people, the move is perfect. Jump off into your side hustle, go all in, crush it. For other people, it's no, continue to provide that income while you do something on the side. But in all cases, I think we have to take that um, responsibility towards the organization that's paying us and outperform our contract. Be the best we possibly can be at that thing that we're being paid for as a first priority while we build this side hustle thing. So I was committed to being the best trader that I possibly could be and also seeing what else might be the next step after this. Anyway, um, you mentioned crazy stories and like people have crazy stories. So I had a dream. I had a dream in the, in the middle of the night. Um, I, was, I was the head of the oil desk at the time. Oil was volatility was off the charts, up and down, up and down, price all over the place. Um, and I was managing a book that had a lot of risk on it. And I had this dream of getting called into the back of the office and having conversations with the owners. And they're like, just grilling me out. Like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you? And I was sitting there in my dream, really, really calm. And everything that they said, I would respond to them. And they'd say like, oh, okay, perfect. Okay, per you're, you're actually doing everything exactly as we would want you to do it. But it was a weird dream. I don't always have those kind of dreams. I woke up in kind of a funk. Um, I like to get my workout in early when I was trading. So I went boxed, hit a heavy bag for you know an hour, came back, typically take the elevator. We live on the 27th floor. The elevator was not, not working. So like, it's a one minute elevator ride and or a much longer than one minute to climb 27 flights of stairs to get into my apartment. 
weird thing never happens. It happens. So I'm late getting into the office. Um, and first thing I do is, is go to the back of, back of the office and have a chat with um, some of the staff there and decide, you know, it's time to part ways. It's time for me to go do something different. And left trading, started the coaching practice full time um, as a result of this like kind of pre-intuitive dream that for me felt like something else giving me a nudge, something else like, all right, you've, you've dragged your feet too long. It's time to really get out there. Um, anyway, Brian Johnson ended up meeting him um, in 2017 in a live event that he did. And I said, I, I want to help you. I want to help your organization. I've gotten so much value from the content you've offered elsewhere. And I want to see how I can help it grow. I ended up joining him in 2019. We launched the coach training program. We've trying to actually got to get on, um, get on my team to send update numbers. We got 11,000 people from over 115 countries that have gone through this program, scientifically proven to change lives. Um, and we've, we now just launched the heroic social training platform, which is taking everything that we know from these, you know, 600 plus books distilled in a six page PDFs from our scientifically validated program, all of ancient wisdom, modern science and practical tools into a single app that can help us move from theory to practice to mastery, which will bring me to the thing that I think would be my answer to that one, what's that one thing if I could change? And it, and it so beautifully ties into some words that you tossed out. You may have heard me mention, I want to come back to action. It all comes down to action. Knowing something is rudimentary, actually living it, actually practicing it, that's the advanced practice. We all know what we could be doing to be a little bit kinder, to be a little bit more productive, um, to be a little bit more energized. Maybe it's sleeping more, maybe it's meditating, maybe it's getting that workout in, maybe it's not responding to that trigger when your daughter says something or your wife says something and your brain's going in attack mode, but can you pause and take a breath? We all inherently know these things, but are we actually doing them? So our mission is to help create a world in which 51% of the population is flourishing by the year 2051. I'll save you the backstory since I know I'm already going off. <laughs> we want to change the world one person at a time together, starting with you and me and us today. And the emphasis on one person at a time together, starting with you and me and us today. I think my one thing that I would like to see different out in the world is for everybody to just take responsibility for themselves. So many of us want to change the world um, by like changing what's out there rather than looking at how can we be showing up differently, individually, own our own sphere of um, interconnected mind, body, spirit, soul, consciousness, and a physical manifestation, et cetera, show up a little bit better day in, day out, moment to moment to moment to moment to moment, focus almost exclusively on ourselves. I love the metaphor of anytime you're lecturing someone else, there's one finger pointing out but count the fingers that are pointing back at you, like attend your own lectures, <laughs> much more self um, opportunities to grow, to be a little bit better. I think if each of us truly committed to, you know what, I'm just going to do my best to show up at my best, never perfectly because no one is perfect, not expecting to not face obstacles because that's impossible. We will always face obstacles. We will always face uncertainty. We will always need to do the hard work. We will always um, have challenges. But committing to showing up in this next moment, 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 over and over and over and over, taking those things we know we could be doing, putting them into action, as you said, action, action, action. I think the world would be a better place. We think the world would be a better place. That's what we are fiercely committed to 
um, using our life force, using our consciousness and service of creating. Um, and that was a really, really long answer to your really short question, but um, <laughs> I love that, man. Well, I appreciate all of that backstory. It's, it's really powerful. You brought up so many incredible points there. One of my favorite quotes is from Bruce, Bruce Lee. It says, uh, willing is not enough. We must, uh, we must apply, uh, knowing is not enough. We must do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of talking about what your app app is. And it makes me excited because I love the distillation. I think reading all of the books is a ton of value. Um, but you know, to have that wisdom distilled, because when I went through and, um, wrote Zen athlete, that's, I was going through all these peak performance books and, and everything, right. Like you did. And, and just trying to take, you know, what is it that I actually have to do, right? If this book is telling me I'm going to get stronger, what do I do? If this book is telling me I'm going to get smarter, you know, improve my habits, what do I actually do now? The story really helps too. Sometimes when you, they tell you to tell the story, story about a person's success. And that can be helpful to really ingrain the teaching. But if you're ready to take action, it's a really powerful step. And I love what you talked about is um, taking responsibility. And I've often, you know, theorized that an awakened person, somebody who has like gone from, you know, not consciously creating their life, they're just kind of going along, um, they get the job, they provide, they're, you're not, they're not really creating consciously. Um, an awakened person, they take 100% responsibility for everything in their life. Um, that way, they're not, not a victim, right? They take these challenges and they transform them to propel their lives and create solutions. If you're in a victim mentality and you're not taking responsibility, it's gonna be very tough to make any kind of changes. And then the second thing is to, uh, go from not what can I get, but from what can I give? So um, I, I did a coaching call yesterday and one of the members, Josh brought up something new for me. I never heard before, but he called um, showing up third. And that's basically, you know, you put um, your family and your community before you, and you also take care of yourself. But then I thought about showing up fourth. And in my view is like putting God, creator, spirit, or life first, right? Family, community, and then yourself, you take, you know, you're the best member. You, 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 create the best version of you so you can support your community, your family, and everyone else um, while taking responsibility, I think is a very powerful way to operate a very powerful view of the world. And I think it's a very empowering way to live um, because you're always going to be the one coming up with your own solution. Because if you need someone else to solve your problems all, all the time or take care of you all the time, um, although that's, that's nice, you know what I mean? When we're kids and our mom and our parents solve all our problems, it is a nice thing, um, but it leaves us disempowered as we get older and become adults. So I think you brought up a lot of wisdom there. That's so good. And, and we're just going to go off again and have so much fun. Um, are you familiar with anti-fragile, the concept anti-fragility? Yes, but I don't know your dad. I see it a lot, mostly in the, uh, the weightlifting bodybuilding thing where people are squatting like seven, 800 pounds and they're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is the anti-fragile set. So concept comes from a guy, Nassim Taleb, who actually was a financial writer, um, black swan, trying to help us recognize that human beings don't deal with probability well. He came up with this term, anti-fragility. It's the opposite of fragile. If something's fragile, you kick it and it breaks. You can be robust, right? And if you kick something that's robust, it's not going to break at first. But if you do it enough times, eventually that thing's going to break. Something that's anti-fragile actually gets stronger the more that it gets challenged. So you think of a fire, right? A wind is neutral. Wind is always blowing. A wind is going to extinguish a candle, but fuel a fire. That fire is anti-fragile. The more stuff you put in front of it, the bigger, the stronger it's going to get applied to weightlifting, like break down the muscle, do things you can't do that are outside of your comfort zone, your capacity, not like so far that's going to break you, but that will challenge you and you come back stronger. That's anti-fragility applied to 
I'm facing a challenge. I've actually got, you know what? This is really funny. I'm picking up a prop here. This was not planned. My one-year-old um, <laughs> grabbed this early and was bringing them around. You would not go to a gym to lift styrofoam weights. Like you don't go to the gym to, to lift the thing that, you know, although if she's one year old, this is, a, this is a decent, decent weight for her. You go to get strong, you lift heavy weights. And yet so much of us want life to just give us styrofoam weights. We expect to go through life and never be challenged. And if a challenge pops up, it's like, oh, woe is me, that victim versus that creator mindset that you talked about. If we can um, learn to love everything that is, first and foremost, because it's the only logical thing that we can actually do, everything that we're experiencing is, even if it's only microseconds, it's in the past. It is past tense. And we cannot change the past. We can only change the future. And to the extent that we are complaining about something that is Byron Katie style, we need to love what is. If we're complaining about what it is, if we're saying it shouldn't be this way or whatever, we are giving away our power to something that has zero possible impact of changing it. We, we, we can't change the past. But if we shift our orientation towards the future, even if the thing that we're experiencing feels like a challenge, feels like it hurts, feels like a heavy, heavy, heavy weight. If you, if you go to the um, gym and describe someone what you were feeling in a 700 pound squat, I know you like interviewed a thousand pound squat guy, like <laughs> describe the bodily sensations and put that in someone who's not lifting a weight and doesn't have that same story. And they're like, this is worse. I'm, I'm dying. But when you see that weight as getting you stronger, you create that story. that's like, this is, this is amazing. I'm experiencing a challenge, but it's helped me grow. It's helped me get stronger. So having that idea of, of anti-fragility of we are going to be challenged in life. How can we use it as fuel for us to get better, which I know you spoke to that shifting from victim life is happening to me to creator. What do I want? What do I want to create? And then having that personal responsibility, you mentioned third, first, right? Family, community, then self, potentially fourth, having that higher power. Um, quick, as quickly as possible, that lines up almost perfectly with how we like to simplify things. Energy, work, and love. Freud, famous psychologist, we don't agree on Freud about many things, but this is a great line. He says, a good life comes down to work and love. We like to add, okay, cool. Well, if you're having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning because your energy is not that line, you're going to have a hard time showing up in your work and in your love. If you're not energized, if I'm tired and I'm hungry and I haven't worked out, I'm a different person. I'm not a good, not as good of a man for my family, not as productive in my work. And the work is a contribution to the community, right? The micro community of who are we surrounding ourselves by? And then that growing macro community, if, if we are able to go from self, small nucleus, broader, broader, broader to the global community of humanity, like we're all on the same rock that's spinning through a, a very large amount of space, I feel like we should at least have some degree of human connection, human community, human family. And that work is our contribution to that. But we've got to be energized to show up in our work, aka community, or show up in our love, aka family. And we've got to recognize that I have no idea how my fingernails grow. I have no idea how I'm conscious in this moment, how, how the grass grows. Like, there is something at work that's beyond our comprehension, whatever we want to label it, God or spirit or universe or infinite energy or whatever it is. And one of the things that all spiritual traditions come back to and teach is humility, humility in the presence of something that's just much, much, much greater than ourselves. Even if that's only humility, when you're looking up in the night sky and seeing 
infinite space in all directions and like, perfect. I'm simultaneously the center of my own universe and a unique point in space and also part of something much, 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 much bigger than myself. So can I have the humility to know that, um, to not expect a world around to revolve around me, to have that creator mentality, be the best that I can be in service of something greater. And I'll wrap it up um, with, so Heroic is a company. Most people think that Hero is a killer of bad guys or like a tough guy. You think of Hero, it's like in our modern times, it's either a sports icon or like, you know, a uh, bad guy, warrior, whatever it is. Hero is a Greek word. It actually means protector. A hero is a protector. And a hero has strength for two. A hero's secret weapon is love. To be a hero is to act in service of love to protect the values, the people that you care most about, to show up for something greater than yourself. So putting yourself third, putting yourself fourth in your, in your frames is literally being heroic. Can you express the best version of yourself? Because if you're not at your best, you're going to have a hard time being a good protector. Or like, what if Hercules didn't do any strength training and he was blessed by the God? Sure, but like, he worked, I've seen the movies, right? I've seen the Disney movie. He spent a ton of time training with all the different apparatus. We've got to train ourselves so that we can show up and be that protector. And when we do that, the good news is, we feel amazing. Ancient wisdom and modern science are 100% aligned on the ultimate purpose of life. It is cutting to the chase, eudaimonia via arte. I've got arte tattooed on my, on my forearm here. Um, arte typically translates as virtue or excellence. It has a deeper meaning of expressing the best version of yourself moment to moment to moment to moment to moment. When you do that, you experience what the Greeks would call eudaimonia. It literally translates as good soul, expressing the best version of yourself moment to moment to moment. Positive psychology came around. They looked at all the ancient wisdom traditions and they said, what's a common thread? Virtue. And there were four virtues in specific that all ancient wisdom traditions have. Wisdom, self-mastery, courage, and love. They have different names for them, um, but that's basically the essence. Wisdom, self-mastery, courage, and love. They also found four more virtues, five, most highly correlated with well-being, hope, gratitude, curiosity, and zest. Love is the fifth. Love counts twice. It's both ancient and modern, which is amazing given that it's also the hero's secret weapon. It's also the driving force between so much of, of what we can and how we can show up. So positive psychology says the point of life is to flourish. Flourish is going around. Even eudaimonia is going right now, like as buzzwords. What is that happiness, deep sense of happiness? It's not hedonic, but it's also like, it's not lacking in joy to flourish. And they say, how do you do that? By putting your virtues into action. Flourish, eudaimonia, mean the exact same thing. Arte, putting your virtues into action, mean the exact same thing. So it all comes down to, can we show up as the best version of ourselves by living with wisdom, with self-mastery, with courage, with love, with hope, with gratitude, with curiosity, with zest, putting that into action moment to moment to moment in service of ourselves, our families, our communities, our broader world in general, creation um, at its essence, knowing that it's going to be hard. Like it's hard. I'm, I'm deep into this stuff. People have said I'm in like top, you know, whatever, whatever point percent of human. It's hard for me. It's hard for Brian, uh, our CEO, founder, chief executive philosopher. It's hard for every single person that I've ever spoken to. It's not easy. And if we're willing to make that commitment, 
again, never perfectly. My wife and I just got into a, an argument three hours ago. We have a shared office space. Our nanny's away for the day. She's six. So we're also juggling our one-year-old today. And I need the office here. I need the office here. Like it didn't end the way that I wanted it to end or that either one of us wanted to end. Perfect. Stuff happens. What do we do then? Do we allow that to simmer and then spend the whole night frustrated at one another? Or do we have another conversation? Hey, listen, I'm really sorry about how I approached that. I, I think we could have aligned here, but instead I said this thing, we both kind of had our, whatever, I was also hungry. I hadn't even had my smoothie yet. So I know there was some sort of lack of resource coming through that I just wanted to apologize um, and see how we can do a little bit better next time. That's amazing, man. Well, you dropped so much uh, useful information there. And I love the um, bringing up humility. You know, I think about this uh, balance between like self-worth, you know, and I'd love to, for you to dive a little deeper into that after, because like, you know, knowing ourselves is one thing, but also seeing this, like, okay, knowing we can grow, uh, but having the humility that we don't know that much, like we can look at the science of how a tree grows and things like that, but it's still really an amazing mystery. Like all this stuff that's going on, they got the chlorophyll and things like that, but there's still a lot of explaining left to do. Even when you look at the scientific processes of like, how in the world is this even happen? This is incredible. And when, you know, you see a young person, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, early twenties, you're saying like, you know, you retire a millionaire at 26 and everything's going to be all done and you can be done working. You're correct. It, it's continuous work and mastery over time. You work harder. And when you're, you know, giving that example, like when I train with the Shaolin monks or, um, you know, I look at people that I respect as they get older, they keep setting that example of really hard work into their old age so they can set the example for the younger people, they don't just all of a sudden stop. It's like, no, they actually learn how to work harder and more efficient and in different ways in their older years. It, it's a way of living. It's a process. And, you know, if you take a kid for an example, you say, okay, well, here's your training wheels. And that kid thinks, well, you know, I want to ride the big bike. I, I guess I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not, you know, happy because I'm not riding the big bike. And then they get to the big bike and like, well, that kid's got a, you know, full mountain bike and he's going off jumps. I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough yet. And so we have this kind of everlasting um, marker setting for ourselves for childhood, but then it gets squirrely in the early twenties and finishing, you know, schools like, oh, I'll be good enough with this amount of money. And it, it just kind of, whatever the goalpost is, it gets moved. And so this kind of goes back to, you know, when you made your transition from, Hey, you know what, this finance thing isn't really uh, fulfilling me right now. I kind of want to move towards something else. And you're, labeling and uh, bringing to light all of these really beautiful core attributes of living. And if we can have that as our main focus and we just contemplate them and we're aware of them, it can transform our lives that alone, you know, with other practical tools. So the question I'd love to ask is how do we get to that point where we, where we know where we are, right? When people are like, well, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want. I don't know where I want to go. Um, has your work come across ways for people to start to uncover who they truly are? So then they can use all that passion and that life force and that will towards something meaningful. And I truly believe everybody has a unique purpose. Um, you know, I, I equate will to like, you know, this like spirit that's greater than you. So in China, when the Shaolin monks would break stone and I interviewed him, he basically said it was himself, but he was harnessing essentially the ether. So concentration and then, you know, just using, you know, the spirit to like create it and himself also poking a tree with like with his fingers. So you had the hard, but then you also had the kind of the spiritual and, and esoteric side of it. So, um, you know, I see will where most people go about their life and like, say they want to, um, 
pick up something, you know, like that weight analogy. Well, they try to pick it up and they don't really try. But, you know, if you imagine a person who might be able to deadlift in the gym, a hundred pounds or 200 pounds and a mother, you know, there's a car accident and the mother goes and says, Oh my goodness, my child is in that car. I need to pick it up. They don't think about how much they can deadlift, how strong they are. If they stretched it out, if they're properly hydrated, they go to the car and they throw every ounce of what they are. And they just make this decision that this thing is moving. And we have recorded times of people doing extraordinary events. And I feel like that's that real concise connection power of will that's to protect someone. But if we could take that same energy to something so meaningful, that same energy, we're going to be able to overcome those obstacles and hurdles that are, that are bound to happen, but it's connecting to that will in the first place, that meaning in the first place that will give us the initial drive. I love that. And to go to those examples, so you've got the monk who can crush the stone, right? He's harnessing the ether. He's tapping into a power greater than himself. And guess what? It took him a long, 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 long time to figure out how to do that, right? He's dedicated his life to how can I tap into this power? Um, the mom drawing on superhuman stores of strength to lift the car. And, the, you know, we've all heard stories of that. Um, she's not going to the gym the next day and deadlifting the same amount, right? But that monk's going to be able to show up and crush that rock crush that rock, crush that rock. So there's this higher power that's available to us that both of those stories allude to. And I think we all have, I don't want to say we all have, I'll speak for myself. I have seen so many instances in my life of inexplicable events um, that are inexplicable from the realm of science. So science there, there's kind of two ways of looking at the world, one of which is the scientific prove it, right? And one of which is like this spiritual, basically faith-based essence. Science is basically a single colorblind eye, right? If I can see it, then it's measured in science. And if you get down to the, again, knowing you like going into the weird stuff and the, the listeners might appreciate it. First off, um, Chris, I can't remember his name, Chris Guthrie. Someone, my, my brother bought my, I got a three-year-old daughter about to be four and a one-year-old daughter. He bought us these collection of books. That's like astrophysics for babies, quantum mechanics for babies, blockchain for babies, like all these electromagnetism for babies, Bayesian probability for babies. These books are amazing. Like they are so, 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 so good. Part of my electives at Harvard was the science of quantum mechanics, uh, the science of time and the philosophy of quantum mechanics. So like, weird bridges of science and how do we understand this stuff? And I bring that up now because at a fundamental level, based on quantum mechanics, we literally don't know. It is, it is an unknowing that underlies everything. And when we have a recorded measurement of something, it locks it from unknowing into a fixed state. And then it's in the past, right? We can't change that fixed state in the past. The future literally lives in an overlapped probability state of unknown and until it's known it's we literally have have no idea you're talking um, about the double split experiment where they put the observer in then all of a sudden it starts acting as it should and when they take it away it goes in a different you know yeah particle wave so um the quick version of the two slit experiment they shoot a single photon particle at a board that's got two slits in it and if you shoot even just a single particle, which should only be able to go into like the top slit or the bottom slit, but one at a time you shoot it, on the back, you see this overlapping pattern. It looks like a wave. 
So it's as if, if you've ever shown two lights on something, you see that like the light gets dimmer and darker from two light sources. It's almost as if a single photon particle, like one creates this two light pattern, this overlapping wave pattern. And it does that until you try and measure, okay, all right, particle, let me see if I can get a handle on you. I know you've got to be like, you got to be going just through one of these. You can't be going through both because that defies the laws of what I understand reality to be. And so you actually try and measure it. And the moment that you measure which one it goes through, that overlapping pattern disappears. So the single particle literally exists in a superimposed like multi-state until you look and observe what is it doing, at which point it collapses into fixed past. Um, bring it back to like, okay, what do we actually do with, how do we actually apply that? But recognizing that there, the nature of our beingness is unknown. It is literally unknown. And if you just sit and ask like why or how enough times, even going through all the scientific explanations, you, you will reach a point of, I have no idea. How do I see? Okay, well, I can go through the sun emits light and the light bounces off things and it hits into my eye and there's a lens that directs it to a certain point in my eye and then it's transmitted to my brain and there's brain signals that repatch in my brain, but like in my visual cortex. You can go through all the science, but if you keep asking, okay, well, how does that work? Or like, why does that work? on any question, ultimately get to like, I have no idea. And it's, I see that not as a, um, a negative or a nihilistic thing, but as a, a really powerful opportunity to then take part in that forward creation, take part in creating the world that we want to see. We don't need to know all of how it all works in order to make a positive contribution to the future. I know when I'm showing up in such a way that like I'm feeling love for my wife or for my kids, or I'm making a positive contribution to my work, or I'm feeling good about myself. There's, we're, we're built to have this innate feeling of like, yep, keep doing that, keep doing that, that's working. Um, even without knowing exactly how it all works. But you mentioned the monk who can crush the stone. You mentioned the mom who can tap into the super superhuman. The monk is practicing over a long, long period of time to be able to harness that potential. The mom's tapping into it. Um, we want to be more like the monk. We want to recognize, okay, what are those things that I want to do? And how can I commit myself fully to practicing that day in and day out and day in and day out such that I can tap into this higher level of performance, higher level of potential, inexplicable in some ways, sources of power um, at will when I want to. And if we play this, this meta game of expressing the best version of ourselves, like, I was in finance and for a while I used finance and, and I felt really purpose driven and really aligned and amazing about finance because it was helping me to show up as the best version of myself. It was challenging me. It was, it was one of the pathways that I was using to be the best that I possibly could be. And this be the best that I possibly can be game applies any single thing we can do in any area of our life and, and micro things, big things have a better conversation this way, have, have a better experience, right? A better, like, it doesn't matter how, what path we're on to play that game of expressing the best version of ourselves. And it doesn't mean um, that we don't appreciate things exactly as we are. Oftentimes, I think people hear that and they think, oh, well, like, are you ever satisfied? Or are you ever grateful? Like, you're, you're playing a game where you're never, ever going to be enough. You're always falling short. And we need to learn to hold two truths at the same time, almost across the board. 
I always want to grow. I can always get better. And everything is exactly perfect as it is. And I am so, so grateful and so, so blessed for this moment and for everything that has been in the past. Um, there's this collection of raw power and energy that I can tap into. And I want to have the practice to like bring it in over and over and over and over and over again. So playing that metagame of express the best version of ourselves, recognizing that we all share that purpose. That is our shared universal purpose. We can get approach that through many different paths, but we're never going to get there. And I, I know you asked about purpose. So we had I've, some of the world's leading scholars on the science of purpose. Um, William Damon, check him out. He's amazing. I was like, okay, how do I find my purpose? You tell me like world's leading scholar on purpose. How can I, how can I discover my purpose? And he made a really, really great point, which is most of us, or we tend to have this story that I'm going to figure my purpose out. I'm going to sit down in a room and reflect on it and journal on it for long enough of like, who really am I? Let me take enough personality tests and combine all the things together. And it said, okay, this is it. This is what I was born to do. But real purpose doesn't happen like that. Real purpose by, happens by trying stuff, getting out, experiencing something, and then learning, did I like that? Did it feel aligned with me or not? Did it, did it feel like it wasn't? And it's the same with this sense of who am I actually? We can't figure that out by sitting and doing nothing. We figure that out by getting into action and, and being willing to experience the potential positive or negative consequences of our actions. I have had a tendency in the past to be so outcome focused, to care so much about only taking action when I thought it would create a positive result, that it made me afraid to actually take action at all. And it limited my growth, limited my contribution. And when we realize that not only is failure part of the process, but failure is like the key to unlocking who am I? How do I show up? What am I going to contribute? Ray Dalio is one of the most successful people on the planet, um, 100 most, most wealthy and 100 most influential. He founded Bridgewater Associates. He's got a great book called Principles. He's got a five-step model for success. Step one, set an audacious goal. Step two, fail. Like literally step two of the most influential, one of the most influential person on the planet. You want to succeed according to him? Step two, fail. We've got to be willing to set that target. That's what I want. That's my goal. Take action towards it. If it goes well, awesome. If it goes not so well, also awesome, because then we get the opportunity to learn from it. We get the opportunity to grow and purpose, applying it to purpose. Purpose becomes something that we, this feels a little bit more purposeful to me. Let me try it out. Let me get into it. Oh, yep, that was it. Or, oh, nope, that wasn't it. Learning, learning, learning. Who am I? At, well, if I'm following the root of questions of why or how do I even exist at all, I get to a place of like, I don't know, right? The Buddhist uh, common essence of things, period. And I'm also pretty sure that there's there's a consciousness here, right? I am experiencing something. Um, how do I merge the two of those to show up? And we learn that again by getting into action, by running experiments through our actions, asking the hot girl out that we want to go on a date with or, the, or having a conversation with a cute boy that might lead into a, you know, a lifelong partner relationship. And then when we have our first fight, not saying, oh, this isn't it because it's not going perfectly, but wow, all great relationships go through fights, not just once, but all the time, right? We sign a new contract with an organization and we show up and we do our best at the thing. And the boss reams us out, not good enough. It could be, oh, I'm not meant to do this. Or 
Awesome. How can I do a little bit better next time? How can I be coachable? Hey boss, I see I fell short here. What could I do to be better next time? I'm really excited to grow. I'm really excited to be a better employee and I'm committed to that first. Can you help me show up a little bit better? Can you help me get a little bit better? Um, and then again, no, I'm just going off and you're so patient, Matt. The final, final, final thing. I want to speak to um, pain, uncertainty, and hard work. So one of the things that I thought in my young, oh, let me, let me retire from work at 26 with tens of millions of dollars. I was like, at some point, I won't have to work anymore. And at some point, I won't have the uncertainty of knowing where money's going to come. Like, I'll have, I'll have reached a state where I'll be like equilibrium. And I think um, at some point, I'll have a relationship that's easy and we won't have arguments or conflicts. At some point, I will uh, reach a state of physical health where I no longer will have to do the hard work. And there's, I'm not going to have uncertainty around health issues or, or feel pain or whatever it is. And I think there's almost this innate human desire to not have to face pain or uncertainty or hard work or excitement to get to the point where like we no longer will have to experience those things, but it's a lie. It's the trap. We will always, 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 always feel pain, face uncertainty and have to do the hard work. And that's exactly what those um, exemplars that you interviewed and talked about demonstrate when they get older, they still work hard. They're willing to continue growing. They're willing to get themselves uncomfortable. They're willing to embrace the uncertain unknown, but nature of our interconnected existence and show up and experience the pain of failure or experience the pain of stretch themselves just a little bit. So if we can flip our orientation to at some point, I will never experience at some point I'll get to a point where I no longer have to experience pain, uncertainty, or hard work to that's a given. Let me learn to love that. Let me learn to embrace that and use that as fuel to see just how high I can go, just how um, energized I can be, just how much I can contribute to my community, love my family, et cetera. Beautiful, man. Well, you, you shared so many really excellent points in there. There's a lot that I could touch on. You know, one of the ideas that, that you shared was like <clears throat> balancing these two opposing ideas of, you know, continuing to grow, um, but being content with where you are. And I feel like that's where the mastery is. And um, I like golf. I caught a little bit of 30 for 30 where they're talking about Greg Norman's story. And he kind of like was choking at the masters or, you know, not playing up to his best potential, although he's winning, but he had this, you know, thing where he would um, fall short on day four very often. And when I work with um, pro athletes and snowboarding and skateboarding and um, these different avenues, mostly in extreme sports is a little bit different because there's no team, but golf is also individual as well. The difference between golf and extreme sports is if you miss the putt, you're probably not going to break both your legs immediately. So the risk is really high. The mental game has to be very, very high. And so, you know, one of the things where you know, I'd like to teach people when, when they say, Hey Matt, like I do so great. But then when competition happens, I always come second. Well, when we unwrap that, it's usually this um, feeling of unworthiness where they don't want to be number one. They don't feel worthy to be the first person they're fine to be second, but not first. And, um, you know, kind of addressing that being okay with who they are or where they are. And in Greg Norman's, uh, you know, circumstance, I don't know if this is true or not, but, you know, I, I like to, when I'm working with the athletes say, you know, if you're about to go perform, right. If LeBron James is about to you, you shoot a game winning shot or Sean white is going to drop in to do his run for the, you know, gold medal, if they're whole and complete and worthy as they are, 
before they go do their performance, they're going to have a much higher probability of success because their identity and their self-worth isn't reliant on them being successful. Um, them performing at their highest level is a part of them. It's one of their wishes and desires and what they are choosing to do. It doesn't just identify who they are. So if on Sunday at the Masters, when he ended up, you know, the one that everybody talks about and he lost a six shot lead, then he started to get all squirrely. You know, if he could have sat down or, or had like a discussion and say, hey, man, you're you're amazing, whether you win or lose. You know, you're going to be just fine, you know, if you have total self-acceptance. But what happens, it's interesting because if he's going down the golf course and there's no TV cameras, there's not, not even one person in the crowd or just one person, he's like, oh, I can handle that pressure. But you magnify that by millions. But the thing is, it's still a zero because that person doesn't matter. It's not you. It doesn't matter if it's one or 10 or a hundred or a thousand. It just feels more. You can feel more eyes. You can feel more people. And even if it's the point where, you know, you got 10 people heckling you and 90, the other 90% love you, or it's a hundred percent heckling you, it's still outside of you. It's outside of your control. It's not up to you. So again, it's coming back to this developing in the mastery of the mental game where, you know, can you have that feeling of worthiness in the process, right? Where you fall over on your three-wheeler bike somehow and you fall over on the next one or you start your business and you fall flat on your face. You keep trying and trying as an expression of who you are and where you want to go. So I, I totally agree. The failure part of it is so necessary and learning to be um, you know, knowing that you're worthy as you are like incomplete in the unfolding process. Cause the other side of this is we don't know when we're going to exit this life. Right. So what does it mean to live a good life? Um, what does you know, what do people who pass on, you know, what are their main regrets? And so I'd love for you to either uh, comment on that or I'll ask you a question. Yeah, no, that, so, so much there. I, I want to go to a, a phrase you mentioned, worthiness in the process. Um, there's a chance that someone's actually not worthy of being the champion, right? Had they not done the practice, we can't think ourselves into like, oh, I'm the best, I'm awesome, right? The worthiness comes from having demonstrated to yourself, I'm willing to follow the process, I'm willing to put in the hard work. LeBron James, um, so I, I believe Bob Rotella was his was one of his mental coaches that he worked with, or maybe Bob Rotella's a golf one. Anyway, LeBron James finally like world's best mental toughness coach for basketball. And he goes and, and talks to him, and the guy's like, you need to make, 400 three-pointers a day. You want to work in a three-point game, make 100 off the dribble, make 100 as if there's a you know a huge guy in front of your face, make 100 and, and catch and release three-pointers, 400 three-pointers a day. And he did it, but he was willing to like work so, 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 so hard to have the confidence of stepping out of the court. Sean White, I love that during the Olympics this year, and I was rooting for Sean, wanted him to get another, get another one, great runs. But, and you saw people choke and fail, right? Like the, the Olympics is a great example of that, but they showed the airbag, right? They showed these borders are trying to throw down tricks that have never been done before. You mess it up, you could break your neck and die. They don't start on the half pipe at full speed. They start where it's a completely safe landing. They're landing in a huge airbag. And there was one where like his dad built him an airbag so he could practice this stuff. And they put in the reps over and over and over and over and over and over. So that confidence comes, that worthiness comes from, as you said, the process of having practiced over and over and over and over and over to have that trust in themselves. Like I've done this a million times. And um, 
I love the point around whether it's one eye or 10 eyes or a million eyes, like ultimately it's all about ourselves. And we do have physiological, like innate biomarkers where the more eyeballs there are, the more stuff that's going on. But we got we to gotta start with ourselves. We got to recognize that um, we are the only person who can ultimately decide whether or not we are quote unquote worthy, which by the way, if, if you think that you're actually the person who's responsible for answering that question, like that's a degree of hubris that I think is far outside. We, we don't get to decide whether or not we are worthy. That's so far outside of our pay grade. Um, just show up, ha have, have confidence in our process. Confidence, by the way, um, is a, I think a Latin word and it comes from con fidere with con fidere intense trust. Most people think, okay, intense trust in I'm going to achieve the outcome that I want. No, it's intense trust in yourself, intense trust in your ability to show up and execute your process to do the best that you can do. And the only way we actually build confidence is by failing, is by willing to try something, falling short, and then getting back up. And then we know we're not, we're not debilitated by making a mistake. The airbag in the snowboarding scenario reduces the um, cost of making a mistake, right? So that you can make the mistake, make the mistake, get back up, make the mistake, get better and better and better and better. And at some point, move on to the actual pipe, still make mistakes until you're just nailing it. You're the golfer trying a hard shot, low cost mistake in practice or on the range, much higher cost when it's on the tournament line. You don't want to hit a shot for the first time in the tournament. I remember um, watching when Payne Stewart won the masters, however many years ago, he had like missed a shot out of a divot. He had hit into a fairway divot and missed a shot and like cost him the cost him the tournament one year. And so then he started practicing every single day, hitting the ball out of a fairway divot that was like partially filled in with sand because that had tripped him up. And so he thought, okay, let me take it and just work that over and over and over. And sure enough, the year he won, the ball was back in a fairway divot and he frigging crushed it and he won the tournament. Um, because he, he'd, he'd earned that confidence, right? Confidence is earned by doing what we say we will do, regardless of what life throws at us, regardless of the outcome. Um, so I absolutely love that. Worthiness is in the process. We've got to be take that extreme ownership of how we're showing up, not care about what other people are saying, but also make sure that if we are the person that actually matters, we're earning our own trust by doing what we say we're going to do day in and day out. 100%, man. You, you brought up, again, so many uh, really important points. You know, when I wrote Zen Athlete, I did a lot of interviews on flow state, right? It became very popular, still more popular than it was. Um, and I would just hear all these different people, you know, speak about different things. And, and some of it would bug me because they would leave out that process, that hard work, you know, to the point for Greg Norman to compete in the Masters was years of process, right? For somebody to go to the Olympics is years of process. Um, but then there can happen a, like a mental, uh, like, um, you know, error where they, they let all that go. They forget the, they, it, they allow it to overwhelm them. Um, you know, you can't flow state yourself into number one or championship, right? It's not like, Oh, okay. I'm going to get in the flow state and go against Tyson. You know what I mean? On, on the night, like you're, you're going to die. You know what I mean? Um, but you can, um, you know, apply that flow state along the way. And even in golf and any other sport, it is a lot of the, um, the, the failures skateboarding is 99% failure. Right. But, but when you're doing something, it's so mother effing precise, you know, skateboarding to me is like the hardest sport on the planet. And I've really contemplated this because I'm an athlete. It's not just because I skateboarding. I think about it like gymnastics is hard. 
um, but you're still using your feet. You don't have to balance on this thing. And it's so precise and they're going so fast down. Like it's just ridiculous what they're doing for it to work out. Cause there are infinite things that should go wrong before they do it. And any skater knows that they fall. So again, it's process and process and they don't see anything but failure. And I, uh, or they don't, they don't think anything of failure. I mean, and I love the skateboard mentality. Um, I was really disheartened when I surfed for the first time because there's a bunch of buttholes in there because the, the, the surfer, not every surfer, you know, I thought they were just going to be the, I don't know. I imagine like these Hawaiian people in there are just going to be so nice to me, cheering me on. They're like, get out of the way. Like this is our way. Cause it's like kind of finite. So it's different where skaters to me are the best. You'll see if you go to a skate park, you know, almost a hundred percent of the time, if there's somebody just learning how to do an Ollie, the best guy in there who's doing the hardest tricks the everyone will stop when that beginner gets that first piece of success because they see him working and working and working. And it doesn't matter what that thing you're working on. Once you get it, everyone's so excited for you. And if we can bring this mentality into life, right? Where like you're working at a business or you're trying to do whatever you fail and fail and fail, but we put so much on ourselves, you know, and I'd, I'd love for you to speak a little bit on, you know, people struggling with either like depression or anxiety. How do they get out of that, you know, mindset of, you know, they look at the world and it's like crippling. It's like all of these things that could go wrong. Cause same with skateboarding, when you are going to do a kickflip down a set of stairs or do a handrail, there are infinite things that could go wrong, but you're really focusing on the thing that you want to go right. The thing that you want to create. So we have to focus our mindset on that. And, you know, for me being a martial artist and applying it to skateboarding, that's what I've done in my life. And I feel like that's what's helped me navigate all these failures and become, you know, successful in some areas and not others. And I'm still working on those ones. I love it. Uh, so I'll hit the direct question in a roundabout way. I want to just circle back to flow. Um, Mihajic sent me, I, I wrote the book flow flow is where our challenges meet our skill set, And it's just above, if we are more skilled than the challenge, then we're bored, right? It's like Serena Williams playing tennis against me. She'd be so bored because she just way better than I'm. And I would be like overwhelmed. That's not flow state for me because I, I could not get a single, I don't even know how to freaking play tennis. I've like played three times in my life, not flow state. Um, if I'm playing someone that's at my level. If the challenges meet my skills and I'm in flow and um, even better, if it's just outside my level, Stephen Kotler um, had him in our, in our program as well and wrote a couple of great books, Rise of Super, Superman and um, what was it like Art of the Impossible, I think might be his new ones. He says, there's actually a number. There's a number that um, particularly athletes in extreme sports, which was his kind of skill set too, 4%. 4% outside of our comfort zone is like the magic number. And if we are willing to stretch ourselves 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%, day in and day out, the, the, the power of compounding interest takes in. Um, compounding interest. Imagine I can give you like a million dollars today and or a penny that doubles every day for a month. Which one would you choose? Everyone always says the million bucks. Everyone always says a million bucks. Turns out it actually matters what month it is as well. Because that penny is going to double to two cents and four cents and eight cents and 16, et cetera. And by day 28, it's like 
eight or nine hundred thousand. So if it's February, you actually are better off taking a million bucks. <laughs> I've never a, heard that analogy 30... before. Yeah, it depends on the month. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's a thirty-one day month, then you're like two x, three x, four x times a million. That's we we just are we're literally not designed to be able to intellectualize and rationalize compound growth. This hockey stick of sorts. But that 4%, 4% better, 4% better, 4% better, 4% better, 4% better, 4% better, day after day. I'm not fighting Tyson tomorrow, but I'll tell you what, you give me five years, I might I might be willing to step into the ring. He's older. I've still got a little bit more youth. I've gone out and hired the best trainers. Like there's a physical capacity. I have no idea what weight class, et cetera. And I'm not saying that if Mike Tyson happens to that I'm actually interested in fighting you in five years, but <laughs> I, I am I saying, I just tweet him daily. <laughs> if, if if we, if we give ourselves the time to 4% more than we can, 4% more than we can, which is when we're in flow, it's hitting that airbag, hitting that airbag, hitting that airbag, doing this trick that's outside of our comfort zone until it becomes inside of our comfort zone. Um, trying that. I, and I cannot skateboard. I got a, a boosted board. So I like had the, you know, the, the wheel that would control the speed of the board. And it was oh, so yeah. dangerous for me to be riding around on this thing. No, no tricks. But like, if we can't do the Ollie and we try and we try and we try and we try and try and try and try. If we go to the skate park and we see that dude doing the advanced tricks and we say, that's the trick I got to do next. Zero chance. But if we're focused on the Ollie, focused on Ollie, then the next thing, then the next thing, the next thing. 4%, 4%, 4%, we got a chance. And this ultimate game of being the best version of ourself, 4% better, 4% better, 4% better, 4% better, day in, day out, day in, day out. Um, celebrating successes is huge. You mentioned everyone in the skate park celebrating that kid when he does his first Ollie. Most of us tend to under-celebrate. Um, BJ Fogg's one of the world's leading behavioral design scientists out of Stanford. Most of the addicting apps that you use, the people that built them, learn from BJ, how to use technology to harness your attention. He says that he thinks celebration will become as um, important, if not more so than gratitude. Celebrating when we show up and not celebrating when we get it right. Celebrating our willingness to execute that process, to do the thing that I say I'm going to do. If I say I'm going to go try to do a hundred dollies and I don't get it, perfect. If I've tried a hundred dollies, done. I want to celebrate myself showing up to that process and then celebrating others when we actually achieve those things as well, but celebrating the process, right? If that kid's not on a skateboard, not even trying that, that park's not going to celebrate him, but because he's there in the group demonstrating his willingness to try, willingness to learn, willingness to get it wrong. And people I'm sure are also encouraging him, right? It's not just once he gets the trick, it's like, keep it up. You'll get this, right? We see where we've been in the past. We want to encourage people that it's okay. You'll get better. You'll get better. You'll get better. And celebrating is so, 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 so huge for that. Um, I try and celebrate my daughter's behaviors. Anytime they do something that I want to see more of, I celebrate it. And I go over the top on it. They're, one of my favorite books is um, Don't Shoot the Dog. It's about like dog training. And the idea that like celebration works, punishment, negative consequences, like doesn't actually work. And it's way less fun <laughs> to like punish yourself over and over for not getting it than it's to celebrate showing up and celebrate getting it right. And I know you, okay, long prelude, bring us back to that question. Someone who's depressed or someone who's not um, 
you know, going through a tough patch. Tal Ben-Chahar was one of my teachers at Harvard. He taught the largest course in Harvard history, positive psychology. I was one of the students as an undergrad at the time in that class, which is quite fun. He's also uh, one of our faculty members for coach. He's going to be one of our um, guides on the heroic platform. But he's, he asked him this question about depression when he came in and had one of our chats. And he said the difference between being sad and being depressed is when you're depressed, you think there's, it's never going to end. When you're sad, you know, it's just a phase and you know that maybe tomorrow or maybe in a week from now, or maybe in a month from now, like I'm going to feel better, but there's a, a sense of this is not going to be my state forever. If we are trying to Ollie and we think I am never like, I'm never ever going to be able to get this right. One, we're probably going to give up really, really, really quickly. And two, like we're never actually going to be able to get it, get it right and, and, and get out of that. But if we believe this is just part of the process. This is not something I want to experience forever, but I'm willing to experience it now because there might be something better on the other side. We're willing to engage. We're willing to take some sort of action that might help get us out over the long term to, to where we're going. So if, if we're experiencing a deep sense of, of sadness or depression or challenge or conflict, or we've just got a, you know, a diagnosis for a disease or we just lost one of our loved ones or we've just lost our job or whatever it is, and we say, this is how it's going to be forever. We have a sense of hopelessness. We have a, a, a sense of not believing in our own personal power to change our circumstance. And it's going to create that, that continued negative feeling. But if we say, okay, perfect. This is as it is. I may not love it. Thank you, Byron Katie, but I, I don't love what is yet, but I'm willing to actually embrace it because it can't be changed. And I'm willing to experience the current thing as a reminder of the wide spectrum of experience that are available to us in this life. And most importantly, I'm willing to do something in the direction of the goal that I'm after, whether it's just to wake up not feeling sad or to find a new job or to um, create a new connection when I've lost someone really important in my life. And we're willing to the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest thing we possibly can but something, some sort of forward motion in the direction of what we want with a belief that our future will be better than our present, which is literally the definition of hope. Um, Rick, Rick Snyder and Charles Schmidt or something um, wrote the books on hope. And they define hope as a belief that our future will be better than our present. You have that? That's hope. They also say there's three ways to get that. Goals, agencies and pathway or goals, uh, willpower and way power. We got to have something that we're going after that clear goal, that inspiring target. I don't want to feel this intense sadness on an ongoing basis. I don't want to feel like I'm alone. I don't want to not have a job forever. I don't want to be stuck on the Ollie for the rest of my life. We have some sort of goal or to frame the, the Ollie one, but I want to nail this trick. I want to be able to do this trick in my sleep, right? We'll put a positive frame on it. We've got that goal. Pathways. I'm willing to, or a sense of agency. I have confidence I'm going to be able to achieve that. If we've got a goal, but we don't believe in our ability to get it, we're not going to have hope, right? Like, okay, Tyson, let's go fight. Nope, I'm never going to be able to pull that off. I'm going to be hopeless. Like, well, maybe 4% year after year, like I've got a shot there. So we've got an inspiring goal. We've got a sense of agency, confidence in our ability to actually accomplish that. And then the pathways, we're willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes 
to accomplish that goal. Not assuming that the first time we do it, the first plan that we try, we're going to get it right. Plan A fails, perfect. Plan B fails, perfect. I'm willing to go through the entire alphabet and then start back at AA through ZZ, through like as many special characters as you want, because the goal is that important to me. And I'm willing to try. And, and if, if I'm experiencing an intense sense of depression, and if you are experiencing an intense sense of depression, um, we would encourage you to start with your physiology. Physiology drives psychology. How are you eating? How are you moving? How are you sleeping? Can you try and sleep a little bit more? Can you move your body? Um, moving your body is literally like taking a little bit of Ritalin and a little bit of Prozac. It is an, an antidepressant exercise. And science studies have demonstrated the efficacy of exercise versus antidepressants. And it's on par after 30 days and after, after like nine months, exercise outperforms. Awesome. Um, we, you couldn't pay me to not exercise. Not exercising is like taking a depressant. So get your physiology dieted, dialed in. Um, the great line, the best bridge between despair and hope is a good night of sleep. So hope, goal, agency, pathways. Um, despair literally means to have no hope, to, to not prosper, to not go forward with hope. Um, best bridge between despair and hope is a good night of sleep. Get a good night of sleep or try to get a little bit more sleep. And I say that with deep, deep deference to um, one, not being a, a clinician, et cetera. And two, like the intense negative states that, that can come as a result of the depression that's often um, started by a lot of different things. And we, we have a lot of people in our community who have experienced that before. Um, I've not personally had like the deep, deep clinical depression. I've experienced a lot of sense of, of sadness. I mentioned the approaching the five-year mark of a job and feeling like I need to go somewhere else and like in a deep funk for a long time. And when I left finance to start this work, by the way, it was not, it was not Rosie's. It was like really, really hard months. How do you go from awesome income to zero starting from scratch? And then well, if I can't provide, if I'm not a contributor here, like what am I, what am I doing? How, how can I like, it was tough. Um, but physiology drives psychology, getting our energy dialed in so that we can show up more powerfully. Again, that hope, goals, agency, pathway, I've got something that I want. I've got confidence that I can achieve it. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes in order to achieve that thing. Amazing, man. Well, again, so much practical insight and applicable, um, you know, tools for people to use for, for all those things. I didn't know about the three ways to kind of have hope, you know what I mean? It's like, I never even thought about that before. So I have to make sure I get that author's name right for the, for the show notes. Um, man, I could ask you questions all day. We're just cruising along, having a great time. So um, I'll just, you know, I'll honor your time and just ask you, um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, if there's anything that you wish that I'd asked or that you want to talk about before we kind of wrap it up and then, you know, talk a little bit about the app you created because it is pretty exciting what you've done. I've seen things like uh, Blinkist and, you know, that was kind of good. I like the summaries, you know, got a lot of books through that way and Audible's is pretty handy. You know, we can use social media for good and bad. Um, you know, but you're, you've created a very powerful tool that I, I saw it and I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like to be able to, you know, have all that condensed wisdom in action. And that's really what's going to, um, help you have the result that you want. And, um, you know, like you said about that willingness to go through the alphabet of failure. 
tier A through Z. And, you know, the two guys that I just had on that were more the strength guys, you know, a thousand pound squats, you know, both of them could do that and deadlift, um, you know, for them, they said the same thing. It was just like, well, um, you know, once I got to like 700 pounds, if you want to get 800 pounds, it could take you another five years to get that extra hundred. They didn't care, you know, because they would just do that forever. And that's what I think, you know, you've alluded to. And I speak about when I do coaching on life purpose stuff, it's like, it's got to be a direction that's so meaningful. You're not going to know what the end goal is, but if you can know that next step and the next step, you're not going to give up and you're going to keep asking good quality questions, uncovering more about yourself and keep taking chances. Um, you're going to see things uncover and you're going to be guided in the path. And I think Everybody is guided in their own process if they're taking action. But when you're stagnant, that's really where things can be very, become very challenging and overwhelming, you know, and it's just get, it's like the object in motion um, stays in motion and an object at rest stays at rest. So just, you know, the first workout after a vacation is the hardest, you know, or if you haven't worked out in a long time, that's the, that's the hardest one. But once you're in there, you, you're craving it. It feels good. It's what the body should be doing. So um, I'd love for you to just share anything that you wish we uh, had talked about or anything you want to want to share we 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 covered so much and in such a a, a fun broad way um i'll share a little bit more about about the resources that we offer in the context of how it how it ties to everything that we talked about and i was thinking about what's kind of the common thread throughout this entire conversation it's all come back to action right a willingness to actually get into action and the one thing that we wanted our app to do, hopefully better than anything else out there, is move you from theory to practice, we say to mastery. But starting with theory to practice, we know what we could be doing, let's actually do it. So um, I'll say, and I'm sure this will be in the show notes, but almost every single thing that I've um, shared has a philosopher's notes, one of those six page book summaries, um, or a series of like short micro lessons. So we've got over a thousand three to five minute micro lesson um, plus ones they're called. And we also have 50 one-on-one optimal living master classes. So like the top 10 big ideas on productivity or purpose or anti-fragility or energy or eating or moving or sleeping or mamahood or fatherhood or leadership or public speaking, conquering depression, conquering cancer, whatever it is. We've got hour long one-on-one classes on that. I share that because one, if you want more information, that's all completely free. So when I first started as a trader and found this resource, it was a hundred bucks a year 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks a year, 250 bucks a lifetime um, on the discount. It was like 400 lifetime without the discount. And I was a paying member for like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, a decade. I bought memberships for all my clients. I bought memberships for a lot of my friends. Some of them wanted it. Some of them didn't want it. <laughs> my absolute favorite resource for growth, um, Heroic, current organization, bought that company. And we now give it away completely for free. So 51% of the world flourishing by 2051, we are committed to helping each person show up as that best version of themselves more and more consistently. And we think by giving access to all this, all these ideas, all this content, all this wisdom, like for free, will help put a big dent there. So check that out completely free. Um, heroic.us will give us a sign up information for it. Um, then I'll, I can help them out with links to all the specific pieces. Charles Schneider and Rick Smith, I think that's the, in any case. Um, hope guys, we'll figure it out. So that is the um, kind of free wisdom offering. Was paid, had tens of thousands of members from all, literally every single country in the world that paid and we made it free. The coach program takes all of that and, and goes deep over the course of 300 days. So we cover um, 
most of the things we chatted about today, but like in, in depth over 300 days. And to my knowledge, I don't think there's another coach certification program out there who does this the way that we do. I've got a certification back there in the corner. I don't know where I've got my self view hidden. So I don't actually know if I'm pointing at it or not, but a lot of certifications will ask you to like complete a test, right? Or demonstrate knowledge of something to earn a certification. And it says it on the certification. You have to literally be practicing so you have to be meditating. You have to be moving. You have to be turning off your electronics an hour before you want to go to bed. You got to be eating in such a way that it aligns with your nutritional philosophy. Um, you got to be journaling every day. You got to be breathing properly. There's a proper way to breathe. Most of us are mouth breathers. Turns out not right. Mouth for eating, not for breathing. Want to breathe in through the nose, use the diaphragm, um, back out through the nose, to optimize our CO2 to O2 balance. The way to get more oxygen into your muscles by the way, is to have more carbon dioxide in your blood. Carbon dioxide signals to your blood vessels, let go of the oxygen and let it go into the muscles. So if we, if we train our ability to have more CO2 by taking longer, slower breaths, we actually get more oxygen absorption into the muscles. Fun, fun hack there. Um, anyway, the coach, when we literally acquire you, like that's how you earn a certification. Are you actually doing the things that you said you will be doing? And when you earn it, you have to read it every day. It's like, there, there's, there's a, some sort of disclaimer clause there. It's like, to the extent that I continue to practice, the certificate is valid. So the moment you stop practicing, you no longer have a valid certification from our program. In any case, uh, that program has been scientifically proven by one of the world's leading wellness labs, Sonali Bermersky. She ran the research for us, paraphrasing. She said something like, if I hadn't have done the research myself, I would have thought the data was fake. It's not a surprise because all the things that we teach and invite people to do are scientifically proven. So of course the like aggregate of them will be scientifically proven. 1100 folks from 115 countries have gone through that. Um, used to be, I mean, it was, it's always been inexpensive relative to the rest of the market. We recently cut 75% off or 70% off with the, the acquisition too. But what we're most excited about is this training platform, the heroic training platform. Um, the kind of foundation of practice is two steps, one committing and then two hitting. So in the morning, commit to who you are at your best, how that version of you shows up, the virtues or qualities that you embody. And then what are you actually going to do today to live in alignment with that best version of yourself? Uh, we've got a resource that literally walks through this with a workbook. You don't need the app to go through this. It's one of the things that we require our coaches to do without using the app. They can do it on a pen and paper and you, and you want. Literally try this for the next month in the morning energy, work, and love. Who are you at your best in energy? Who are you at your best in work? Who are you at your best in love? Give that, give that version of yourself a name. My current energy identity is a, a Iron Man beast. My work identity is world-class chief of staff. And my, my love identity is a zero, which is a nod to Gandhi. Reduce yourself to zero. It could be father or athlete or podcast ninja or whatever it is. Then your virtues. How does that version of you actually show up today? If ancient wisdom and modern science agree that a good life comes down to living with virtue, putting our virtues into action, then it's probably a good idea to say, okay, what are the virtues I want to be putting in action today? Let me pre-commit to living with virtue, present, kind, connected, genuine, generous, encouraging, enthusiastic, confident, anti-fragile, strong, fast, swift, be like, what are the virtues, the qualities that you want to embody? on a daily basis? And then what specifically are you going to do today to live in alignment with those virtues in energy, in work, and in love? We're all going to have different things. Um, your number one thing might be a good night of sleep. 
which might be driven by turning off your electronics an hour, two or three before you go to bed. Maybe it's getting a workout in, maybe it's getting a skate session in, whatever it is for you. What are the, the three behaviors you're going to do to live in alignment with that best version of yourself and energy, and then in work, and then in love. For work, it might be journaling or preparing for the podcast or reading a book or writing that report or hitting the gym if your work is like a physical piece or, you know, 400 three-pointers or 100 attempts at the ollie kick, but whatever it is. And then love-wise, what are the things that you, if you did them, you would show up better in love in the relationships that matter most to you? Um, responding to a bid is one of mine. John Gottman, uh, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. People can come into his lab and he can predict with like 85% accuracy whether or not a relationship will be together after 15 years. And he does it by paying attention to, are they responding to each other's bids? If I say, hey, Matt, we're out of mustard and you're at the store and you don't buy mustard, that's you not responding to my bid, right? <laughs> These, hey, such and such, hey, dada, hey, mama, or man, it's cold in here. Oh, can I get you a blanket? You want me to turn up the heat? Our partners, our friends, our colleagues are constantly making bids for our attention. And we don't always have to actually do the thing they're asking, but at least acknowledge, oh, you know, I'm actually pressed for time. I already left the store. Like, let's put it on the list for next time. Sorry, no mustard, but I hear you. Or like, I got to run. I'm busy, sweetie. Can I, can I give me 10 minutes? I'd love to come see what you're trying to show with me. So responding to bids is a really, really great predictor of relationship longevity. I mean, that's one of my top three things to do in love, but it might be making your bed or doing your number one self-care or going on a date or calling your mom. Moms out there will love this. Yes, please give me a call. I, I, I love hearing from my children. Um, that's our process. Um, the app is designed to make it happen in less than three minutes a day. Again, who are you at your best? How do you show up? What are you actually going to do today? Try to do that for 30 months, pen and, or 30 days, pen and paper, and not have a great month. Like if you actually did this every single morning, this is who I am at my best. This is how I show up. This is what I'm going to do today. And then you actually did those things. You're going to 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%. You'll be astonished at, at the growth that's possible over the course of a month. We also work with the um, world's leading technology design firm. Um, they helped us craft a swipe for our, our target hits. So I actually, I don't know. I don't have my phone. Science also says that having a phone in sight or in touch decreases the quality of conversation. So I put my phone somewhere, I don't know where, somewhere that I would not see it and or feel it so that my brain is not wondering what's going on on my phone so I can be present. But we've got this gesture that I'm addicted to. When I do something, I celebrate it by going to the app and saying, yep, that's like me. I just did the thing that I said I was going to do. I just worked out. I just meditated. I just gave my daughter a hug. I just responded to a bid. I'm going to literally, I'm going to go as when this is done, I'm going to say crushed it, hit my crush a target. Like, yep, that was a work thing. I feel like I showed up well. I was energized. I was prepared, crush it and celebrate. I'm addicted. Like literally people talk about technology as being addicting. Perfect. Awesome. It should be addicting. Let's use that addiction as fuel for our, our best. Let's use that addiction to help us show up more consistently at our best. I'm addicted to doing the things that I know are best for me. And this app is helping me to do that. Um, it sounds self-serving. I know I'm like, it's our organization, it's our app, but I'm just blown away at the changes that it's making in my own life. 
My three and a half year old daughter is using it. She made her, she's made her bed like three days in a row. I can count on zero fingers the number of times she's made her bed before we added that as a target, make my bed or be a good listener or take a breath or share with your sister or help with the dishes. Like she, she, she's got a burpee target. She's, she loves burpees. She generally loves burpees, but she will go. She's like, dad, can we do burpees? I want to hit my target. Dad, I want to, I'm so excited. I took a nap. I can hit my nap target. It has been amazing to see when you set a goal, when you set this target and we celebrate hitting it, how much change can happen even in a three and a half year old um, or a 35 and change year old who's deep into the stuff and thought he had it dialed in until I was like, boom. I, the, the past three weeks of being actually on the app have been, um, have been really, really monumental for me. So I share that because we're really fired up about it. I think it's really, really, uh, I think we've figured out how to hijack our brains to get us to take action that's in align with who we are and how we want to be in the world more and more consistently so that we can serve, so that we can show up as the best, most heroic versions of ourselves um, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Um, and then thinking back, was there anything else that I wanted you to ask that we didn't ask? You know, I, I wanna go back one more time to this idea of like failure, imperfection, just getting things wrong. Um, and the connection to self-worth is present for me as just an individual, something I continue to work on of like, oh, I'll get 4% better every single day, right? And at some point I'll, I'll no longer have failures. I'll no longer have arguments. And when those things come up, sometimes a voice in the back of the head is like, ah, still not there yet. It's not there yet. And there's a negative self-worth. There's a judgment. We need to shift that. It's all part of the process. There are no perfect human beings. Matt, you're an awesome guy. You are not going to be the first. Sorry. I, I'm not going to be the first either. Like no one's going to, there are no perfect human beings. If we can just have that same sense of compassion that we have for our children, um, for other people when they make mistakes, apply that to ourselves and also apply it to those we care about when they're, when they make mistakes. Um, most of my conflicts with other people come down to some sort of like, I want them to be perfect too, or they have fallen short and I want to help them not be that instead of just embracing perfect. That's a mistake. Let's get a little bit better. Let's go a bit better. Um, so none of us are perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Let's get to work, putting what we know to be true into action day in and day out and uh, hopefully change the world together. Amazing brother. Well, <laughs> that was a handful. And, you know, I, I love what you're doing because it just reminds me, you know, like be, because I come from the martial arts background, it's just, you know, when I have a, a goal set out, right. And then I reverse engineer it. Um, you know, that's how I'm more successful. And that's actually, you know, I was one of the first to do that in snowboarding. I created fitness programs for athletes and mental training, you know, visualizations and everything. This wasn't going on, you know, 15 years ago. Right. And so th that increased my performance, but increased all these athletes performance by marking out those goals. And it really hasn't been done. I'm sure it has in other ways. If I think about courses or things like that, but not in an app form that I'm familiar with, that just helps you to integrate those things. Right. It's like, well, when you look at fitness, it can be overwhelming what to do. 
So you, you break it down you figure out what your goals are. And you do the thing. I know you do triathlons. That's very different training from what I'm doing now, right? Very different. We're doing, we're both in the gym, maybe for the same amount of time, but doing very different things. Um, so it's important to know what your goals are and to do that in a personal development way by your own definition, I think is really powerful. And it's amazing to give uh, that gift away for free, you know, a huge value offering and then say, Hey, you know, if you want to go a step further, this is an offer too. So I think you're doing it in a really beautiful way. So just thank you for all your work and thanks for coming on. There's this show was a, a ton of practical knowledge. So I love that. That's important to me is like, you know, whenever, I re- if you give me a personal development book um, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't figure out the how-to after I'm pissed. I was like, you better give me, you know, how I'm supposed to do this. So I love how you, you made all the actionable steps. I love that. Uh, Let's three kind acts, wherever you are in the world today, I'll add a request of, of three moments of you showing up as the best version of yourself today, like little choice points, take a choice point. Could be less than, could be a little bit more than, well, let me take a breath. Let me show up. Let me, Add an extra two and a half pound plate. I know it's not on the schedule, but let me just see. <laughs> let me just see. Um, an extra hug, whatever it is. Beautiful, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. If people want to follow more of your work or they want to get into this stuff, where do they go? Heroic.us, um, or you can search the app store for Heroic. Um, it's on iOS currently. Android release is coming within the next month, so... Um, search app store for heroic and or heroic.us. You'll get access to the, the free content um, and then see the, the other offers. And what about if they want to follow you and some of your work and other interviews or whatever you might be doing? Um, we actually are building the media page on that site. So it'll live there. And I don't even remember my social handle. I don't think that's Balshan, I think it might be the, the Instagram. <laughs> go, um, to the, go to Heroic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go to Heroic. <laughs> okay, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was, this was great. All right, cheers. See everybody. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Michael Balshan. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. If you want to check out his app, go to heroic.us and you can use the code ZENATHLETE to get 20% off. But there's also an amazing free version um, that's completely free and has a ton of information on there. So check that out. Uh, support the show by sharing it as far and as wide as you can on all social medias. Uh, become a member at mattbelair.com and you can get there for free or by donation, whatever you wish. Um, but remember to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world it's the best way to support this program so thank you very much um, for being here for your support right now i'm currently moving my family and we have a lot of stuff up in the air so you're seeing a little bit less shows um, but we need to kind of relocate deal with all that kind of life stuff and uh, we're going to keep kind of plugging away with shows here and there but there's going to be uh when we resettle uh, there's going to be a lot more shows coming down the pipe so thank you guys for your support for your kind words and um just for being here so uh let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we end this show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with joy peace contentment faith courage and power and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode